And hello to you, and welcome to the Richard Nichols Podcast, the personal development podcast series that's here to help inspire, educate, and motivate you to be the best you can be. I'm psychotherapist Richard Nichols, and this is episode 155. It's titled Options and Decisions. And if you're ready, we'll start the show. It's March. So it must be springtime. <laughs> well, it stopped snowing anyway. And this Siberian beast from the east weird weather is on its last days, I think, though. So I hope it is anyway. So we'd better stockpile sun cream, folks, because things are going to be changing. And not just with the weather. Changes in the seasons seem to correlate with changes in life. If things feel different on our outside... It reminds us that we can change on the inside too, I find, especially as that bit of extra sunlight in the mornings and evenings wakes up some primal instincts that reminds us that we're not hibernating after all. And if there are changes that you want to make in your life, now is as good a time as any. But to be fair, so was last week. <laughs> There's always a now, but if a fear of change was holding you back in some way in any previous nows, then that needs to be addressed. The thing is, when it comes to making changes, it's easier to not. The emotion attached to staying as you are might only be 6 out of 10 on the pain scale. But the emotion that comes with changing jobs... Ending a relationship, moving house or whatever might be 7 out of 10. So it's less painful to stay as you are, but there are some things in life that force us to make choices and we literally cannot stay where we are. If your landlord is selling your house, you have no choice but to find a new one. If you're being made redundant and you don't have a stack of cash in a savings account, then you have no choice but to find a new job. Sometimes these decisions are out of our hands and it can be scary because... You're forced to stretch your comfort zone, forced to make decisions or choose between options, and that's not easy. I mentioned it before, but it's worth talking about briefly again. But us humans are not happy when we have too many choices. A supermarket selling dozens of varieties of jam will actually sell fewer jars than if they only sell six types. As psychologists uh, Sheena Iyengar and Mark Lepper I've shown in their studies. But when you tell this to the supermarket companies and you show them the research, even if you conduct experiments in their stores that prove it and they go, wow, this is amazing. Too much choice puts people off spending money. That's going to revolutionise how this business operates. Thank you so much. Then they go away and make no changes at all. Because it seems counterintuitive, and I'm not exaggerating here. Those conversations genuinely happen every day. I've met plenty of psychologists that study shopping habits, and big names will use them as consultants to help them sell their products, and they never take this advice, because it goes against everything that 21st century society seems to assume. That more choice means more control over your life, more autonomy, a happier person. But it's just not the case. Also, not only does all this choice prevent people from buying things, what we also find is that in people that do buy something, having alternatives to what they've chosen means that they value the one that they did choose less. 
because there's a part of them that wonders if they made the right decision. Well, this is with cheap, inexpensive things. Anyway, you can do this quite easily with a box of chocolates. If you take six different types and make a little card that describes each chocolate, ask someone to choose one and rate it from one to ten, they'll give it a high number. But if you give them a choice of 30 to choose from, then each chocolate has a significantly lower rating than it does in the other condition. Our slight worry that we might have made the wrong decision alters our enjoyment of what we do choose. And this is with only with quite inexpensive things, though, to be fair. But I think we all need to be aware of this because that's where we spend our cash. We need to be aware that we need to make more snap decisions over the simpler things in life. We shouldn't have to spend 10 minutes in a restaurant staring blankly at a menu. It's okay to trust that what they make you will be enjoyable enough. Like I was saying a few episodes ago, if what we're experiencing comes from a position of appreciation, gratitude, then we're going to enjoy life more. Rather than looking for reasons to regret what we didn't choose, we should be looking for reasons to enjoy what we did. My son is 13 now, and in the next few weeks he needs to decide on his options for his GCSEs. Does he take the pathway with the extra language, or the one with the extra science? Yeah, but what about this one that's got biology and maths? Or this one that's got psychology, but doesn't have business studies? Now, it's easy for me as an adult to say, it doesn't matter. Life will still be just the same no matter what. You're 13. It's just GCSEs. It's not a big deal. But if we usually think more about things going wrong rather than things going right, then that habit of negativity can cause us to easily stall and prevent us from making even small decisions. I mention this word a lot, but it's the same process as catastrophizing. Starting off with something small and each step of the way exaggerating what any negative influence it causes on the next step until what started off as being something as simple as what shall I make us for dinner tonight becomes oh my god my wife is going to file for divorce. And it doesn't take many steps to get from one to the other. It all boils down to having trust in yourself that even if the decisions you make do have implications further down the line, that it'll be okay. That you can handle whatever life throws at you. But sometimes the decisions we're faced with have no clear right or wrong answer. The options that are available all look like they could be right. And if you're single and lucky enough to be in a position to have to decide which prospective partner to focus your attention on, it can be overwhelming to think that only one of them is the right way to go, when actually, it doesn't matter. You're going to live happily ever after anyway. Maybe with them, maybe not. And if you split up further down the line, then deal with it then. You don't need to plan for it before the relationship has even started. I received an email from a listener in Australia recently. Hello, Sam. Thanks for listening. And she mentioned that her daughter is only 10 years old, worries about whether she's making the right decisions or not. And that's just about whether she should practice a musical instrument or not. Because there are there are other things to do. So this attitude can start quite young and it probably starts with should I do this homework or that homework? Shall I watch Pokemon or Doctor Who? You know, that sort of thing. And when 300 hours of video is uploaded to YouTube every single minute, 
there's always the option to do something else. With all of this, there comes the inescapable fear of making the wrong decision. But when you play with that, what does that mean? What is it about this process of getting something wrong that we fear? Is it a fear of missing out? A fear of feeling stupid? Because if it's about feeling stupid or self-esteem, then it's nothing to do with making the wrong decision. Because we can still feel useless or incapable of getting things right or feel like a, a bad friend or a bad spouse anyway. It's worth looking underneath the emotion to see what's really going on, as the emotions that are triggered by the thoughts of making the wrong decision could well be down to something else. Fear of judgment, maybe. From a practical perspective, one of the best ways of feeling okay about making decisions is to create some habits or routines about things. And I know it can be a bit boring to have the same thing for dinner on a specific night of the week, but if you've set it up in your head that it's Monday, so I'm having soup for dinner, then you're not fatigued out by having to decide. Your habits have made the decision for you. Sure, be flexible. If you want something else, then have something else. Pull on the routines when you can't make a decision. Because if you actually do want something else that day, then you've already made the decision anyway. If you always practice the guitar on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night for an hour, then your habits have helped you decide what to do with your spare time. If you always go for a jog on a Thursday morning for 30 minutes or always watch a particular TV show on a Monday night, life's going to be easier. I don't know I say this a lot, but it's important not to take everything I say too literally. Find the middle ground. Habits can be boring. People often say that variety is the spice of life, but familiarity pushes rewards in our brain too. And it's important to, to balance between variety and familiarity. There have been many studies that show that choosing a favourite meal from a menu in a restaurant makes us more satisfied than trying something different. There's nothing wrong in choosing the same thing that you know that you like more often than not. Variety can lead to regret sometimes. Not in everyone, of course. If you're habitually upbeat and have a, a grateful attitude towards life and experiences, you might find that varying things up a bit has a very positive effect on you. But not everyone. I guess the secret to much about the whole personal development self-help process is to find what works for you. And when it comes to the bigger decisions, such as choosing a kitchen, a, a job, a house, things like that, and all the options are as good as another, then it kind of doesn't matter which one you choose. You could almost just flip a coin a few times to narrow it down and then flip it one last time to decide. If the coin ends up forcing you to choose something you feel disappointed with, then it's helped you to decide on one of the options to discount. So get rid of that one and flip it again. I remember an episode of Brush Strokes. Remember that? From the 1980s? Most of you, I don't know, I don't know how old my demographic is, but um, it was a BBC comedy written by the same guys that wrote The Good Life about an amorous, wise-cracking decorator. And as a 13-year-old boy, I thought the guy was a bit of a legend. And there was once this... There was an episode where um, Jacko, his name is Jacko, flipped a coin to decide which girl he was going to accept the advances of. 
I think it was probably the last episode or one of the one of the series, and all you saw was that he raised an eyebrow and smiled to himself because he knew that he was happy with the decision the coin had made. And although in many, many, many other respects, Jacko and I are very different people, if you'd seen my decorating skills, you'd know what I mean, but that almost laissez-faire, just-do-it attitude is something I employ myself, and it can certainly help. If you need to make big decisions, especially if it involves a discussion with your partner, friends, or colleagues in a meeting room, then maybe set a short timescale on it. It's too easy to spend days looking at pros and cons of options. In business, this sort of thing can stall a business for months or even years, whilst money is spent on market research or getting more options, hoping that a a clear answer will miraculously emerge from some data on a spreadsheet. It probably won't. And rather than debate on something that has already gone round in circles for months, just talk about it for half an hour with the expectation that you'll decide by the end of it. And if the choices have already been vetted and are equally as attractive an option as each other, and still there's no clear answer then you can probably all agree that it doesn't matter which way you go. You'll make it work. You'll you'll book the holiday, choose the kitchen, relocate your business to Scotland or whatever, and live happily ever after. There's an interesting quirk to our psychology that means that with expensive things, we tend to look back on what we've done with a feeling that it was the right thing to do anyway. It's called choice-supportive bias or post-purchase rationalisation and means that once we've gone ahead with something with large cost, we have a tendency to downplay any negatives in the one we chose anyway. It's only when you have the dilemma of over-choice with 30 chocolates to choose from that it has a negative effect on how you feel. Right then, it's coming up to 15 minutes which is as long as I dare go, otherwise people switch off. So I shall let you get on with your day, your week, and your month, and so on. And I'll see you in April, when hopefully spring will have started properly, and the beast from the east will have blown away and left us with warmer hands and toes, because mine are freezing today. Have a good month, folks, and I'll speak to you again soon. Bye for now.